If you're visiting with us this morning, my name is Brent Smith. I'm one of the elders here at Christ Central. And uh, certainly hope that you feel welcome here this morning. Uh, We've got a lot to cover this morning. So we should get right at it. And my watch broke last night, so I don't know what that means, if you want to read into that at all, but no limits, Rita said. We're just in the early stages of a new series on the Holy Spirit. Joe uh, kicked us off last week, uh, helping us to see who the Holy Spirit is, um, how He is, first of all, God, so the truth of the Trinity is foundational uh, to all that we're about. That God eternally exists, always has, always will. God eternally exists in three persons. That each person is fully God and that there is one God. Okay, so that's uh, the Trinity. That's what we mean by the Trinity. God hasn't appeared in different times, in different modes. He has eternally been God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So Jesus wasn't baptized and then do some cool ventriloquist act of this is my beloved son and whom I am well pleased, and then do like a shadow puppet of a dove over his head, okay? And fool everybody there. Uh, We believe in the foundation of the Trinity, that the Father is God, Jesus is God, and uh, most importantly for this series, the Holy Spirit is God. And then Joe showed us plainly that the Holy Spirit is a person, he has a will, Uh, He has all the characteristics of personhood. He has a mind. He's sensitive. And uh, really what Joe said last week that I think is so crucial for us to keep always on the front burner uh, during this series is that he's just like Jesus. The Holy Spirit is just like Jesus. And so this morning, we're kind of still in introductory mode. We're still kind of laying out a very general map that we can zoom in on. Uh, later in the series. So last week Joe did who is the Holy Spirit. This morning we're going to look at what does the Holy Spirit do. So the work of the Holy Spirit. So not to be uh, too casual uh, since we are talking about God, but if what Joe did last week was a profile of the Holy Spirit, this morning we're going to look at the resume of the Holy Spirit. And so as I thought about that This week, if you've ever been involved in hiring, uh, a few things happen when you get a resume. Let's say you're hiring for a a position at work and you get a resume, say, from your neighbor or someone that you know kind of casually. And you begin reading it and the first thing that happens really is is a recognition or an awareness of what this person has done and is doing. So, man, I've known this guy for years, I had no idea that he had 20 years of plumbing experience before he was an accountant, and I had no idea that he worked for this amount of years in South Africa, right? You become aware of what the person has done and is, de- is doing. You realize that there's more to him than you originally thought. Second, if the resume is especially impressive, you would kind of stand in awe a bit of what the person has accomplished the skills that he has, the fields he's worked in, etc., right? You'd kind of sit back in your chair and say, man, you know, this is, this is impressive. You'd kind of be in awe of what the person has done. And after that, the natural reaction is to say, I need that guy. What he does best, I need most, 
and I must have him. He would change everything. We can't move on without him, right? If you've been involved in a hiring process, that's kind of the process that it would take. So this morning when we look at the Holy, at the Holy Spirit and what He does, uh, my goal is for the same thing to happen to us. At the very least, the basic response I pray for you is that you might be aware of what the Holy Spirit does. That you would say, just like in our hiring scenario, I've known Him for years, I had no idea He did all this. And have a greater uh, consciousness, I guess, of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and in the world around you. But beyond that, uh, my goal is for us to see that, see all that He does and stand in awe of Him. That just seeing the scope and the depth of His work would lead us uh, to greater worship. That you might say, you know, I don't see Him as some bit player who has minor, non-essential roles, but I see Him as great and powerful and worthy of worship. His resume is impressive and there's no sugarcoating and there's no prettying it up and there's no putting fancy titles on simple jobs to impress his resume is awesome in the very real sense of the word and then it's my prayer that that awe that worship would cause us to really just throw our hands up and like in our scenario say i need that guy i can't move on without him he would change Everything, what he does best, I need most. And I must have more of him in my life. Paul ends Second Corinthians by saying, may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. We don't want to just know about him. We want to know him. We don't just want to be aware of his work. We want to be in close fellowship with him. We desire him. We thirst for him. And so that's really the ultimate uh, response uh, that is, is my prayer for us this morning. That we're not just learning things, but we're growing in our desire and our thirst for more of the Holy Spirit. And really, uh, I hope to uh, whet your appetite a bit uh, for more as we go into this series. Because we're going to be covering a lot, and uh, we're not going to look at... Uh, much very in-depth. We're covering a broad uh, view this morning, so I pray that as we just touch on these things, uh, hopefully uh, the Spirit speaks to you and that thirst and that desire for more of Him uh, grows. Okay, so let's pray and then uh, and we'll dive right in. So Father, we do pray uh, that that would happen this morning. We pray that as we look at Your Word, we would become more aware of what your spirit does his work in our lives and in this world around us that we'd be in awe of him that we'd increase in our worship and we pray father by your spirit we would thirst and desire uh, more of him in our lives we pray father that you would come that you would meet with us that you'd open our eyes to the wonderful things contained in your word and that your spirit would speak to us we pray in jesus name amen okay So, the first work of the Spirit I want us to look at is that the Holy Spirit is the giver of life. A good place to start when we're looking at the Holy Spirit isn't at the beginning of Acts or even the beginning of the New Testament, but right at the beginning 
of everything. The first mention of the Holy Spirit is the second verse of the Bible. And so we're not going to have Scripture up on the screen because there's a lot of them. And so if you have your Bibles, you can flip around with me. You guys can go ahead and move that to the next one. <clears throat> so the first verse, second verse in the Bible says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Straight up, I'm not even going to begin to explain uh, what's happening here, okay? Um, but what it shows us plainly is that uh, before light was even created, before the earth was formed when the universe was, I guess, kind of like Plato when it comes out of the container. It's just there. The Holy Spirit is there, and He's involved in it, okay? And uh, if you look at Job 34, 14, and 15, uh, we begin to see a little bit more of what the Holy Spirit's involvement in creation is. It says, If God should set His heart to it and gather to Himself His Spirit and His breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. So if God would withdraw His Spirit from creation, every living thing would instantly die. So we see that the Holy Spirit in creation is the giver of life. He is the one who gives and sustains all physical life. Everything right now that is alive, if God should withdraw His Holy Spirit from that work, would instantly die. All the fish would go belly up. All the birds would drop from the sky. And you and me and billions of people around the world would instantly, all at once, perish. That is the extent of the life-giving work of the Holy Spirit in creation. Job 33.4 says, The Spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty has given me life. And so we can't move too quickly from this. Don't just see this as some Sunday school lesson. God made the world. God gives us life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we just kind of move on to greater things. It has huge uh, implications. Two things right off the bat. How thankful we should be that we have life. How thankful we should be to God that we get up in the morning. We are made in God's image. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And we are, we are alive not because, ultimately, because our hearts are beating and our lungs are breathing, but we're alive ultimately because the Holy Spirit has given us life. Not because we sprinkle flaxseed on our cereal and do yoga. We're alive because the Holy Spirit has given us life. We woke up this morning, we took a breath because the Holy Spirit gave us life because of the life-giving work of the Holy Spirit. And this should cause thanksgiving in us. It should cause us to value and spend our life wisely. If all life is a credit to the work of the Holy Spirit, then should we not cherish it? And should we not treasure it? And should we not preserve it? Should we not protect it? If life is given by the Holy Spirit, no matter what the quality of life is, no matter what the length of life is, no matter what the location of life is, whether it be in a hospital or a playground or a womb, life 
needs to be protected and preserved and and respect needs to be made to the life-giving work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the giver of all physical life. And right along with the life-giving work of the Holy Spirit is the fact that He gives us spiritual life. And we'll look at this more next week. Uh, So I won't spend too much time here, but Jesus said to Nicodemus, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. You must be born again. The Holy Spirit gives us physical life. The Holy Spirit gives us spiritual life. He is the one who regenerates us. He is the one who makes us new creations. And lastly, uh, the life-giving work of the Holy Spirit meets its culmination really, in our resurrection. This is how he, he wraps up his life-giving work by giving new resurrection life to our mortal bodies. Just like he did with Jesus' own body, one day he will raise our bodies up, even though they have died, and give them new everlasting life. Romans eight eleven says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. From creation to salvation to resurrection, this Holy Spirit gives life. Second thing, I told you we're going to cover a lot of stuff here. He's the giver of life. He's also the revealer of God. The Holy Spirit reveals God to us. And being God, He's a great candidate to do so. Throughout the Old Testament and definitely the New Testament, one of the Holy Spirit's primary uh, purposes is to manifest the presence of God. To give recognizable evidences that God's presence is there. So we'll look at this more later too. Uh, But oftentimes in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon men and women to prophesy, to do great works of power, etc. People could see the effects of the Holy Spirit coming coming upon people. He made His presence known in visible ways when He descended in the likeness of a dove upon upon Jesus at His baptism with the sound of rushing wind and the visible tongues of fire at Pentecost and with the various gifts He gives His church. When He works in these ways, believers and unbelievers in these ways that they can perceive, it lets people know that God is here. It builds faith that God is at work. So He reveals the presence of God. Second, He reveals God's presence. He also reveals God's Word. Although there were many authors in the Bible, ultimately the Bible is a work of the Holy Spirit. Spirit And speaking of the Old Testament prophets who declared God's Word to the people, Peter says in 2 Peter 1, 21, that they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That they spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And in the same way, the New Testament authors were guided into all truth by the Spirit. John sixteen thirteen, In 2 Timothy 3, 16, Paul describes Scripture as being God-breathed. And so again, foundational, a lot of implications when we say that the Bible is the Word of God. 
that when we, when we stand on the belief that the Bible was written by human authors, but they were inspired, they were carried along uh, by the Holy Spirit's work, that it's God-breathed. Huge implications. There were many authors over many years, but ultimately the Holy Spirit takes the responsibility for the authorship of the Bible. We say it often, but do we believe that the Bible is the Word of God? Do we believe that the Bible is the Word of God? And we say yes, and if we said raise your hands, you know, it would be a large majority would say that the, whole, that the Bible is the Word of God, but do we read it like it's the Word of God? We can get all worked up when a new author writes a book and, oh, we love that author and we've got to read it, but what if there is a book that was written by Almighty God? Wouldn't we want to know what He has to say? Right? The Bible is the Word of God. Along with revealing to us God's Word, the Holy Spirit also reveals to us God's ways and His will. The Bible says that we have received the Spirit of God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. 1 Corinthians 2.12 It says that He will teach us all things. John 14.26 And guide us into all truth. John 16.13 And we see this in in different ways uh, throughout the Bible. Uh, He guides and directs us. We see in Acts 8, the Spirit speaking directly to Philip to go speak to the Ethiopian eunuch. In Acts 13, He directs the Christians at Antioch to set apart Paul and Barnabas for missionary work. And it seems to be very direct and maybe even audible. It says that He spoke to them and told them uh, what to do. And so although not usually this direct And dramatic, the Bible also speaks of daily walking by and being led by the Spirit, allowing the Holy Spirit to guide and direct our lives. In Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council sends a letter to the church and it says, For it has seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. In Acts 16, Paul speaks of being forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go to certain places. And in Acts 20, he says he's constrained by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. The the Holy Spirit's leading and directing on his life is so overwhelming, it's as if he's bound and can do nothing else. He has to go to Jerusalem. He knows that's where the Spirit is directing him, as if he was constrained and could do nothing different. So in all of these, we see men and women allowing the Holy Spirit to direct their lives and Him leading them in God's ways, directing them to accomplish God's purposes in their life. So there's a revealing of God's will as a work in the Holy Spirit. It's it's amazing when you think of the Holy Spirit as the revealer of God, as His presence, His Word, His will. Sometimes a church like ours might be criticized maybe for emphasizing the Holy Spirit too much, but when you think of the Holy Spirit as the revealer of God, as the revealer of His ways and His presence and His Word, I mean, I'd rather be guilty of too much than too little. And when you think about the Holy Spirit and His work of, He says He's going to glorify Jesus, and, and that's what we're about, right? We want to glorify 
Jesus. So if we're guilty of emphasizing the Holy Spirit too much, then we're guilty of desiring the presence of God too much. We're guilty of wanting His Word to be alive and fresh. We're guilty of wanting to follow in God's will. We're guilty of wanting to glorify Jesus and give Him the praise and the, and the, and the honor that He deserves. So if that's what we're guilty of, then lock me up. <laughs> right? The Holy Spirit is the revealer of God. He's the giver of life. He's the revealer of God. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit is the purifier of hearts. He's the purifier of hearts. When we're talking about uh, the Holy Spirit's work in purifying us, in making us more and more holy, more and more like Jesus, it all really starts with the Holy Spirit's work in convicting us of sin. Jesus said in John 16.8 that when the Holy Spirit would come, He would convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. He would convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Only the Holy Spirit can make us see our sin for what it is, see our great need for righteousness, and feel the urgency of coming judgment. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. That's what He comes to do. The work is true before and after conversion. The Holy Spirit comes to bring conviction of sin. Before we were Christians, the Bible says that our minds were blinded. We could not see the light of the Gospel of the glory of Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. We need the Spirit of truth to open our eyes so that we can see. And that's what He does. And He comes. I remember I've been blessed to have uh, my dad as a pastor who preached the Gospel every week. I remember sitting as a 11, 12-year-old boy preaching or under my dad's preaching and feel the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. Even at 11 and 12, knowing I was a sinner and I needed righteousness and an urgency of the coming judgment. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. The convicting work of the Holy Spirit. As Christians, God's Spirit is the one who brings conviction when we sin to point us towards Jesus, to point us towards life, to point us towards joy. Conviction is the Holy Spirit coming to us when we sin and really speaking the truth in love. The Holy Spirit comes. He speaks the truth in love and He points us to Jesus. He points us to life. That attitude doesn't belong in you. That desire isn't right for you as a child of God. What you did there wasn't right. He comes and He points out our sin. And it's not, it's not, you know, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. That's not what we're talking about. Condemnation just wants to come, put, the, put its foot on your neck and kind of just point you towards sorrow and point you towards despair and point you towards hopelessness and push down and push down and push down. Conviction by the Holy Spirit comes and it's sweet. It's not uh, a stomp on your neck. It's, hey, Come on, that isn't right for you. And it's pointing you towards life. It's pointing you towards joy. It's pointing you towards the cross of Jesus Christ 
for the forgiveness of your sins. Conviction for the Christian is the Holy Spirit's pruning, pointing out the dead branches so that we can bear more fruit. And it might be painful for the branch to be cut, but it's necessary. And we see this in, uh, in Psalm 51. And you probably know Psalm 51. David, uh, after being found out with adultery and murder, and then we have Psalm 51, which just kind of details uh, the aftermath for David in that. There's a line in there where he talks about, let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. And that's really what the convicting work of the Holy Spirit is. It's like the, the bone-crushing grace of God in your life. Okay? You, you, as Matt Chandler says, you tracking with me on that? It's like the bone-crushing grace of God in our life. Right? So, there's a great quote. Uh, Paul Tripp says, in speaking of this in Psalm 51, he says, The physical pain of an actual broken bone is worth being thankful for because it's a warning sign something is wrong in that arm or leg. In the same way, God's loving hammer of conviction is meant to break your heart and the pain of heart you feel is meant to alert you to the fact that something is spiritually wrong inside of you. Like the warning signal of physical pain, the rescuing and restoring pain of convicting grace is a thing worth celebrating. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. What a grace we have that the Holy Spirit comes and says, whoop, not there. That's not right. We've got to set this right. There's forgiveness for that. And He's pruning and He's shaping us. He's working us in us that peaceful fruit of righteousness that Hebrews talks about. As Christians, we've probably all experienced this, but we need to recognize that it is, again, a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Along with conviction, the Holy Spirit cleanses us from our sin when we come to Christ. He breaks us from our sin. He sanctifies us or sets us apart. When we come to Christ, there is an initial cleansing done by the Spirit from the sin of our old life. And we'll just read a couple uh, verses on that. Just some great verses. 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. And just listen to the the cleansing work of the Holy Spirit when we come to Christ. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, nor the, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But, 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 You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Such were some of you, but you were washed in the name of Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. Let's flip over to Titus 3 and get the the second part. Titus 3, 4. Uh, or Titus, yeah, Titus 3.3. 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, 
led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But, 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 when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy. Yes. So we've been convicted by the Holy Spirit. When we come to Jesus, we've been cleansed by the Holy Spirit. He washes us. He cleanses us from our past life of sin. And when we go through our life with God, walking in His Spirit, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that we are continually being transformed into the image of Jesus more and more like Him and that this too comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It is by the Spirit that we are able to put to death the deeds of the body, Romans 8.13, and it is the Holy Spirit who brings forth love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control in our lives. We carry a part in it. We can't just sit on the couch eating Doritos for the rest of our life and be transformed into the image of Christ. But ultimately, all transformation is a credit to the work of the Holy Spirit, the purifier of our hearts in our life. And so what does that mean for us? As Christians, when the enemy comes and he says, remember your past, remember when you did this, remember that life you lived. Who are you to be on the worship team? Who are you to be leading a life group? Who are you to be up there preaching the Word of God? You can say, such I was, but I've been cleansed. Such I was, but I've been cleansed by the Holy Spirit. Because of the Holy Spirit's work in our life to change us and transform us, when the enemy comes and says, you're just unfaithful and you'll never change. You're just impatient and you'll never change. You're just filled with lust and you'll never change. You can say, I have the work of the Holy Spirit in my life and He can consume my lust with His love and He can consume my impatience with His patience and He can consume my unfaithfulness with His faithfulness. He can consume my harshness with His kindness and His gentleness we have the work of the Holy Spirit in us. He's the purifier of our hearts. And that's the answer to the enemy's lies when he comes to remind us about our past or to push sin in our face and say, despair, hopelessness, you'll never change. You say, no, that's my old life and I can change because I have the purifier of hearts living in me. That's right. yeah. <clears throat> Whew. The last role the Holy Spirit will look at is His work as the empowerer of our service. I don't know if empower is a word, but it is today. Not just a New Testament thing, the Holy Spirit has been empowering people to do great things for God. 
since the early days of the Old Testament, one of the first instances we see is the Holy Spirit coming upon a guy named Bezalel in Exodus 31 and 35 to give him great artistic skills to build the tabernacle. Another example we see is Joshua in Numbers 27, 18 and Deuteronomy 34, uh, the chapter we looked at just a few weeks ago. When Moses dies, it says that Joshua was full of the spirit of wisdom. The Holy Spirit had empowered him to lead the people into the promised land. And would you not want the power and the help of the Holy Spirit to accomplish that task? If you can just picture yourself as Joshua following in the footsteps of Moses, right? That's one thing. Then given a few million people, that's another thing to lead. And then, oh, by the way, you're going to lead them into an occupied land, okay? And then, oh, by the way, you've got this Fort Knox of a city called Jericho. That's number one on the list, right? Would we not want the power and the wisdom and the leadership of the Holy Spirit on our lives? And if you have any doubt how Joshua felt in that situation, you can read Joshua chapter 1 where God tells him to be courageous about 600 times in nine verses, right? We need the power of the Holy Spirit like Joshua needed the power of the Holy Spirit. The judges of Israel are a great and maybe the most popular example of the Holy Spirit coming upon them to deliver the Israelites from their enemies. Guys like Othniel and Gideon and Samson, uh, the guys that every 10-year-old boy loves, right? The Holy Spirit coming upon them to do great things for God. And we see in 1 Samuel 16, when David is anointed king, it says the Spirit rushed upon him from that day forward so that he could fulfill his duties for kingship. There was a special anointing of the Spirit on him to empower him to lead God's people. And that's why he says in Psalm 51, after the murder, after the adultery, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. It was the Holy Spirit on him, a special anointing to lead God's people. And he says, please don't take this anointing of leadership, this anointing of kingship from me. The Old Testament prophets, in the power of the Holy Spirit, also prophesy about the coming Messiah, that he would be someone who the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Isaiah 11, 2 and 3. And so when we get to the New Testament, we see Jesus beginning a new, greater, more powerful period of the Holy Spirit empowering people for, for service. In the synagogue, he stands up and declares that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, anointing him to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, to recover the sight of the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then, the great thing is, through four Gospels, we see him do it, right? We see him in the power of the Spirit, heal the sick, cast out demons with the Word, give sight to the blind, the lame walk, the deaf hear, he's walking on water, he commands storms, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit uh, was on him without measure. And when the Spirit raised him to new life after his crucifixion, he left, but it says he sent the Spirit to be with us. When he left, the Spirit came to empower us to serve him ever since then, right up 
until now. The Holy Spirit is here to empower His church. Don't get too caught up on the Holy Spirit was on people in the Old Testament and in people in the New Testament because there's a few instances in the, New Test- in the Old Testament where it said that He was in Joshua, He was in Micah, He was in Daniel. But it's clear to see from what we read in the Bible that after Jesus' ascension on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes in a new way, in a fuller way, in a more powerful way than we see previously. So you don't be jealous of Joshua. You don't be jealous of Samson, right? Because it's come in a better way today. Pentecost is didn't just mark a different coming of the Holy Spirit. It marked a more powerful coming of the Holy Spirit. It's better. Okay? It's better. He makes our prayers effective. He gives us gifts. He empowers us to be witnesses for Jesus. We'll explain more in the coming weeks, but for this morning, just look at the scope and the depth of the work of the Holy Spirit. He's the giver of life in creation, in salvation, in resurrection. He reveals God with His presence and His Word leading us and guiding us in His will. He's the purifier of our hearts, convicting us of sin, cleansing us of that sin when we come to Christ and transforming us daily into the image of the Son. And He empowers for service. He did it in the Old Testament. He did it in without measure on Jesus, and He does it for us in a new and greater way than we see previously. And we haven't even gone into those in great te- in detail. We haven't even touched on His work in conceiving Jesus in the womb, if you can wrap your head around that, that the Holy Spirit conceived Jesus in the womb of Mary, God Almighty, inside flesh. Let that sink in your head. You probably can't even drive home, right? We haven't even touched on his outpouring during times of revival. We haven't even touched on his work as the comforter. We haven't even touched on his work as giving us assurance of salvation. The resume of the Holy Spirit is impressive, right? It's impressive. And as I said at the first, I hope at the very least you say, I didn't realize that he does all that stuff, but that's so minuscule on my desire for you. Ultimately, I desire that you would say, I stand in awe of the work of the Holy Spirit in my life and in this world around me. And just like in our, our little scenario, I need to have them. I thirst for them. I desire them in my life. I can't move on without him because he changes everything what he does best is what i need most he's the giver of life he reveals god to me he purifies my heart and he empowers me to live for god sign me up let's have him so i pray that that is where you're at this morning let's pray Father, we're so thankful for the work of Your Spirit in this world around us, giving life to all that we see. Uh, We can't even begin to understand the scope of Your life-giving work. 
one day when we see it all, I think we'll just be uh, in awe of your life-giving work and your sustaining work in creation. We'll be in awe of your life-giving work in salvation as we see the millions and millions of people that you've given spiritual life to. We'll be in awe of your resurrection life as we look at the hands and the feet of our resurrection as our resurrected bodies, the new life that you've given us. One day we'll stand in awe of your life-giving work. We're in awe of your revealing work. We're so thankful that you reveal the presence of God. We pray for more of it, Father. We pray that you'd reveal more and more of your presence to us in these morning meetings on Sunday. We pray, Father, that there'd be more manifestations of your presence here among us. We're so thankful for your revealing of your word, both in writing it and illuminating it to us, that we can even understand it as a work of your spirit. We praise you for it, Father. We're so thankful for your purification work, that you're the purifier of our hearts, that you convicted us of sin, you cleansed us from our past life, and now you're working to transform us. We praise you for that. We're so thankful, Spirit, for your work in our life. And we're so thankful that you empower us for service. And we pray, Father, for that you would send more of your Spirit to empower us to live for you, that we'd see more gifts, we'd see more uh, work of your Spirit in our prayer life, in our witness for you. Ultimately, our goal is to glorify your Son. And so we pray that your Spirit would work in our lives in these ways so that we could give your Son more glory, that your kingdom could be built, that your church could be built, that the word of the gospel could go forth and more and more people could come to know you, to know the beauty of your Son and the work that he's done for them, and to know the power and the comfort and the presence of your Spirit in their lives. That's our prayer. We pray, Father, for it in Jesus' name. Amen.